This is a production of JetWit.com. Special thanks to U.S. Jet AA and Claire for their support. Hello and welcome to the Jetosphere podcast, the podcast about things related to the Jet alumni community broadly defined. I'm your host, Samantha Lastris, and I was a Jet in Tokyo from 2017 to 2021, so a very, very recent alumni. Sometimes I have to remind myself that I've really only been home for a few months. Uh, It's been really crazy, and I'm sure many of you can relate to that transition of coming back to your home country. This is my first time as a host, so yoroshiku to all the listeners, and special thanks to Stephen Horowitz for bringing me onto the podcast team. Today's episode is also another first in what will be a new series for our podcast, Jetosphere's Mothra Storytelling Hour. The Mothra Storytelling Hour was born at the Jet 30 reunion, originally devised and emceed by Stephen Horowitz. Now we're bringing it to you in podcast form, so you can listen to your fellow Jet alumni stories anytime and anywhere. By the way, there will also be another Mothra Storytelling Hour at the upcoming Jet 35 reunion. Jet 35 will be held in Seattle, May 20th to 22nd. You can register and learn more on the U.S. Jet AA website. Anyways, the theme for this kickoff episode is mistakes, something I think we can all relate to. I will also go ahead and announce the theme for the next installment of our storytelling podcast. As a foil to our mistakes episode, next we want to hear about your success. So start thinking about some success stories that you may want to share from Jet or post-Jet. So back to today's theme, we asked you to submit your stories from Jet relating to the topic of mistakes, and we got a lot of good ones. Some of them will make you laugh, and some of them will make you cringe, but I've broken them down into thematic categories for our listening. So our first category is going to be what I'm calling silly social snafus. Those kind of first-level cultural differences that you bump up against maybe when you're first getting to Japan. We have a few stories that were submitted for reading, so I will start with those. And our first one is from Susan Patton, a former Kagoshima jet. I'll do my best to convey the drama of her story. She submitted two for us to read that I think fall well into this category. So Susan writes, I was coming home late at night, around 11 p.m., and a block from my apartment. A gentleman walks towards me and holds out his hand. I thought he wanted to shake my hand because he had never seen a foreigner before. Wrong. The hand was full of cash with an attached invitation. I declined. (laughs) Uh, We have another story from Susan as well. She says, I was leaving a club with my fellow Kagoshima MEF, Barbara Georgia. After entering the elevator on the fourth floor, I asked Barbara to hold my umbrella while I put my jacket on. The elevator stopped at the second floor, and four very inebriated businessmen got in. One of them held the door for a fifth guy that I could see coming down the hall. Barbara thought we were on the ground floor, that they were blocking our way out, and proceeded to club the guy over the head a couple of times with my umbrella. I told her we were only on the second floor, and we exited the elevator quickly with the words bakanagaijin and hennagaijin and some other phrases ringing in the air behind us. Thought we were being accosted. Wrong. (laughs) Thank you, Susan, for submitting those stories for our reading. Another write-in story we got was from Jessica, who was a Sapporo Jet from 2006 to 2008. Jessica writes, My first month or so in Japan, I was craving homemade chocolate chip cookies. I went to the supa to get ingredients and started making them. I put the butter in the microwave for a short time to soften, then added the sugar and eggs. I could not get the ingredients to mix together. Eventually, I realized I had purchased cheese instead of butter. The image used on the packaging was how pats of butter are shown in my home country. I don't know why the cheese wouldn't melt, though. It maintained a rubbery texture. Thank you, Jessica, for submitting your food story. I know I find this story super relatable. Something that was really tough for me in the beginning was the grocery store. And I remember one time I purchased what I thought 
were jelly donuts in a box. They were round. They looked like they were fried. They had something sprinkled on the top, looked like sugar. I was like, great. Buy them, bite into them in my home, and they were curry bread. (laughs) Uh, I was vegetarian at the time, so that obviously was not what I was expecting. But yes, I'm sure we can all relate to this kind of mix-up at the grocery store. So next, I will play the stories that we had submitted that were recorded for the category of our silly snafus. Hi, my name is Sarah Parsons. I'm, I was Sarah Johnson at the time that I was on the JET programme in Gunma Prefecture from 1995 to 1997 and then another year as a private English teacher. So my mistake was... Um, at a party I went to at the beginning uh, at a teacher's house and I was learning Japanese. I was learning hiragana at the time and I had the book that we were given as jets. Um, it was a medical book to help us if we went to the doctors. Um, I'm not sure whether I, I was given it by the school or the prefecture, but anyway, I had this book and I just opened it up and picked the first word that I saw in hiragana and said it out loud and just kept saying it really because I was really pleased and everybody was like really complimentary well done oh yes Josudesne um and I kept saying it and then I looked at the word and um it was the Japanese for um a bodily fluid from a woman I don't want to go into too much detail but it was very embarrassing and something I really shouldn't have been shouting out at a party but it did give me a really interesting insight into how polite the Japanese can actually be and this kind of infamous tatamaya and <laughs> and how they just kind of were very very complimentary of my, my speaking um, and it was really funny and I remember actually saying it on um, the BBC Radio 4 when I started working with Jet AA in, in the UK. I went on Radio 4 and um, the editor at the time, he said it's the first time that word has ever been used on Radio 4 as well. So there you go. That was my mistake. My name is Brenda and I was a jet in Hyogo Prefecture. My story about a mistake (laughs) happened on a work night. Uh, I had gone to see friends in Kobe, which was fairly close to where I lived in Akashi. Um, But (laughs) we, you know, had met up for dinner. We were not drinking, but because it was a work night and maybe things were busy, I was still very tired. So um, after seeing my friends in Kobe, um, which was maybe, you know, 30 to 45 minutes away on the train, I took the local train home, the Sanyo line to save money, but I fell asleep on the train. And when I woke up, I was at the last stop. Um, it was very late at night <laughs> and I was way past my station, um, sort of in a mountainous region, except it was very dark. So, I was at the last stop. I had to get off the train. I left the station and it was springtime. I remember because I had sort of a small jacket on and I went outside um, and realized that the station was closing, but I didn't see any hotels. I didn't see a kombini, um, like a 7-Eleven or anything. Um, And it was late enough at night. I sort of, I had a cell phone, but my Ketai was like the flip phone is before smartphones. Um, You know, I could tell where I was, (laughs) but it was late at night. So my friends that lived in Hyogo, um, which is the largest prefecture, has the most number of uh, jets of any prefecture. Um, My friends that sort of lived in that area weren't actually close by and were probably in bed because it was a work night. So Um, I didn't know what to do because I couldn't get back home and there was nowhere to go. So I ended up (laughs) sort of walking around. I felt safe, but there weren't even any taxis by the station. Um, So I ended up sleeping just to be safe. I couldn't find anywhere else to go under bushes in someone's backyard. Um, Not my proudest moment. It's not a story that I've told people, but um, I remember my jacket because I took off my jacket and used it as a pillow and used my purse as a pillow and, um, you know, took off my bracelets, put them in a purse and, um, yeah, slept under the bushes in someone's yard that night. Set an alarm on my Ketai, my cell phone, and got up in the morning um, very early for first train home. 
took that train home, showered after a couple nights sleep on the ground, and then went to work. I did not tell my colleagues what had happened because I thought, you know, maybe they'd assume I was drinking. Um, but the next day, I realized I couldn't find my what we called gaijing card, my sort of um, like social security card type thing for Japan, and realized that it had fallen out of my purse under the bushes in this random person's backyard. Um, like an hour and a half away on the local train from my house. Um, <laughs> so that was a mistake and that was an adventure when I put my bracelets in my purse, um, it had fallen out. So the other thing is when I left that town in the morning, as the sun was rising, it was dark and I didn't realize I was really in the mountains, um, until in the morning because the sun was coming up and I saw a sign as I was leaving town, that town, um, I can't tell you the name of the town, but I can tell you that it was famous for beetles. So I slept outside on the ground. I ended up getting the gaijin card back. It's a long story, but um, I'm glad I didn't know about the beetles before I slept under those bushes. So that <laughs> is my story and making the, the best out of a mistake and you know, learn from my mistake. And um, I think maybe the next time I just did not go to Kobe on a weeknight or if I was really tired or I um, set an alarm on my phone while on the train so that I didn't miss that stop. Uh, That's it. And (laughs) hope you enjoyed. My name is Joe Palermo. I was an MEF in Guma Prefecture for two years from 1982 through 1983. My first cultural mistake involved my car, and it occurred the first time I drove it to a school visit. Getting to the train station and following the teacher's car to the school went fine. The problem came when it was time for me to go home. I asked the teacher if I could follow him back to the main road, and then I would know the way back home from there. He said that would be fine, so I proceeded to follow his car. When we got to the main road, he pulled his car over to the side of the road and got out of the car. Wanting to thank him for his help, I waved at him as I proceeded to drive home, as I might have done if I were in the U.S. I didn't learn until months, years, later, what I had done wrong. It seems I was supposed to also pull off of the road, park behind his car, get out of my car, and bow while thanking him for his help. I'm hoping he wasn't too insulted by my casual wave as I drove off into the distance and left him in the dust. Once when I went to Japan on one of my trips in college, I was walking along the road with a Japanese female friend of mine when I saw a flower stand on the side of the road. Thinking I would be gallant, I offered to buy her a bouquet of flowers. She then proceeded to explain that those flowers were the ones people bought to put on graves in the cemetery. Okay, romantic moment definitely over. Hi. My name is Scott Maupin. Uh, I was on JET in Hokkaido from 2005 to 2009, and this is my JET story about mistake. So where I lived on JET, you could drive a little ways away, and there were a number of really cute farm restaurants available to go and check out and eat at. And so uh, one of the days I was off work early, I was out looking and exploring, and I found a cute little restaurant that was half restaurant and half uh, ceramic studio. So the people who ran the restaurant also displayed their pottery upstairs and before and after you eat. You could go upstairs and check out their intricate ceramic cups and plates, really beautiful stuff. But downstairs you could have uh, different food that they would prepare from the vegetables and things that they grew out on their farm. It was amazing. So I came in one time and I had lunch with some friends and because I'm an American, I ordered a pizza, and because it's Japan, it had all sorts of interesting options for toppings on it. So I ordered a pizza that came with, I think it was a ham and avocado, and I was like, hey, this is great. Side note here, I had never had an avocado before in my life. Uh, I had been hearing about them. I grew up in Kansas. We did not do a lot of adventurous eating, and in my family, avocado <laughs> was considered adventurous eating. So so I hadn't had one uh, up until that, that point in my mid-20s. 
but I had been dating someone from California and she had been telling me all about how great avocados were and this and that and how much she missed them in Japan. So when I came upon this discovery at the restaurant, I was ecstatic. I ordered it. I was like, I'm going to have this. This is great. I ate the pizza. It was wonderful. I was like, finally, I've had avocado. This is amazing. I understand what people are talking about. Went back. Couldn't wait until I saw my girlfriend again. I was like, guess what I found? I got to take you there. You're not going to believe it. And so I don't know if I even told her what we were going to do. Uh, I think I might have kept it as a surprise. And one day when we were free at the same time, we went out there for a meal. I came in. I was extremely happy about what was about to happen. And they brought over the menus. And I was like, check it out. Avocado on a pizza. This is what I've been talking about. We got to order this. And so we did. It came out. And she looked at it. And I could tell there was something a little strange, but I didn't know what. So I picked up mine and I was like, this is great. What are you talking about? Bit into it, had a nice crunch and sat there crunching on my avocado while she looked at me with a bewildered expression. Again, I had not had avocado before at all. I did not know what they were supposed to be like in any way, shape or form, taste wise or consistency. What I was eating was a very unripe avocado that was kind of like, a, I want to say it's more like an apple in the way that it snapped and was crunching. And I thought this was great. Very little flavor going on. Uh, I would now know in hindsight. But to me, this was this was exactly what the experience was supposed to be. And to my girlfriend, this was the worst possible way to experience an avocado. So uh, I don't remember how we got out of the rest of that meal. She probably politely ate around them. And uh, then we had this discussion later where she's like, I need to really take this boy somewhere where he can have an actual avocado and we can end this nonsense. But I thought I was going to be walking out of that meal a hero. And instead, I learned a lot and embarrassed myself a little and uh, wasn't exactly the hero. So... If this isn't already enough of my voice for you to hear and you're interested in hearing more, I do host a podcast of my own called The Perfect Show, uh, where I recount and explore little perfect experiences from my past. This next story is from Sarah Coomber, a Yamaguchi jet from 1994 to 1996. When I was living in rural Yamaguchi, Ken, there was a season where it seemed that there were so many Enkai, so many parties. And every Enkai had many of the same dishes. So over and over, we'd have the same routine. And the two dishes that I remember best were the plate of fresh sashimi and the personalized bowl of soup that sat on its own little stand um, over like a sterno lighter. So you heated your own personalized pot of soup. And I was in a phase where I was not enjoying the sashimi very much, the raw fish. And so what I would do is I would wait until my colleagues were preoccupied with their own meals or visiting with each other or laughing about something. And I would just pop my pieces of raw fish into my personalized pot of soup. And so I would solve the problem of the sashimi. And also I would end up having the loveliest freshest tasting fish soup I've ever had. So I thought I was getting away with this and I was for a while. I don't think anybody was on to me until one night I was at a party and I thought I was all clear and I did the same thing, popped the sashimi into the little pot of soup. And unfortunately that night though, one of my colleagues saw me and let out a little gasp. <laughs> I thought, oh no, I'm busted. This is not good. You know, maybe this is going to be the height of rudeness, even more so than I imagined. And um, that colleague told another colleague, and soon I had a few people around me kind of la laughing at me for doing this. But just a couple of beats later, all of a sudden, all these people were throwing their own sashimi into their personalized pots of boiling soup. And so what I thought was maybe a big mistake or a, a gaffe, <laughs> which it probably was to an extent, um, it became a bit of a delicious bonding experience between me and uh, my co-teachers. 
All right, and that's the end of our first category, our silly slip-ups. I love looking back on these kind of stories because they're just so silly and we can laugh about them together. But our next category is a place where we might not be so immediately ready to laugh about our mistakes. So slip-ups at work can leave us feeling super embarrassed. So let's hear from some former Jets on how they handled some mistakes that they made in the classroom or related to the workplace. And first, we have another story that was submitted for reading, also from Susan Patton, if you remember her from the first category. Uh, But this time, her story is in the classroom. Susan says, I was teaching in a junior high classroom. The kids were great, but one particular girl was very enthusiastic. She continued to wave her hand in the air to be called on after she had been called on previously. I wanted to give everyone a chance because I was doing such a great job and the kids were fun and lively. However, in exasperation, right before class ended, I called on her again. She politely let me know that my zipper was down. (laughs) Thank you again, Susan. All of the stories that you submitted for dramatic reading were hilarious, and I really enjoyed reading them. And now I will play the submitted recordings of our mistakes that took place in the classroom or the workplace. was an ALT from 2010 to 2013 in Shiga Prefecture. I was in my third and final year teaching at an elementary school on JET when I made a mistake that I still think about. I had a few weeks warning leading up to picture day. In my first year, I had no clue what to wear, but as luck would have it, I ended up in a navy dress that year, so things turned out okay. Uh, My second year, spot on in the classic black suit, Now, in my third year, I had something nice and demure, perfectly sensible and beige picked out and ready to go. So fast forward to picture day and I am rushing around in the morning thinking about how I'm going to be late and wondering if I remembered to print my lesson plan. I get to school and I'm at my desk checking on all my last minute morning prep and then one of the teachers walks in the staff room and asks if I'm ready. For what? Everybody's waiting to take the picture. Let's go. Oh, snap, I forgot it was picture day. So I walk out to the entrance and everyone is packing into the little bleachers they've dragged outside for the photo. And I try to slide in the back, but I'm not quite tall enough to get away with it. So I try squeezing in behind another teacher standing to the side of the bleachers. And she's like, oh, Michelle Sensei, come, you stand here. And by this time, I'm in a cold sweat. I do not want to stand in the middle of the picture. I do not want it, but they insist. So they take the picture, and then a few months later, I get the hard copy. And there I am, in the middle of the photo, in a bright red dress. Such a silly thing in hindsight, but I think it really affected how I dress today. And almost 10 years later, there is no red in my closet. Hi, my name is Jen Morosky, and I was a Wakayama Jet uh, from 2005 to 2007. Uh, Mistake. When I was on JET, I taught at 10 different schools, which included uh, seven elementary schools. And when you teach seven elementary schools, I counted once, I taught about 3,600 kids every year. Um, You kind of uh, really look forward to (laughs) the times when you don't have to lesson plan uh, because there are so many grades. And at the time, back in 2000, uh, six when this story took place there were no textbooks for elementary school Japanese um, so we had to kind of make it all up as we went and uh, so when I was uh, teaching at the school that was closest to my apartment which is a school I really loved uh, the Daini Elementary School um, uh, I often found that when the kids were really enthusiastic uh, we could run through my whole lesson plan and still have five or ten minutes left at the end of the period sometimes. So, of course, you usually play those games like Heads Up, Seven Up, or, you know, whatever kind of games that, that kind of give kids five minutes of uh, structured fun at the end of class just to uh, give you an option to kill the last of that time. Uh, and I had remembered that when I was a, a, a kid, this was at the class of sixth graders who were a little hard to please, uh, when I was in sixth grade, one of the games that was really popular was that game that in America is called sometimes like the winking murderer game where all the kids sit in a circle 
um, and you, the one kid is like tapped on the back and that person is the quote unquote murderer and they look at the other kids in the circle and make eye contact and if you are the murderer and you make eye contact with another kid and you wink at them they kind of usually count to like let's say five and then they like pretend to be murdered uh, until other kids guess who the murderer is in the circle just by you know who looked at who and then who died um, well obviously I realized that the theme of that game was not really appropriate uh, for school and so I thought uh, I had recently been at a uh, haunted house in an obakiyashiki uh, at a local festival and so I thought oh it might be fun to call this game obakiyashiki uh, and to say that one person is the ghost uh, the obake I guess um, and that when the ghost winks at you uh, you faint. So I said to the kids, I, I very clearly used the Japanese word for faint, um, and I said that when the ghost winks at you, uh, you go, Dah! and then you pretend you faint, um, and then we try to figure out who the ghost is as our classmates are, are, are in the, the haunted house. Um, and the kids loved this game. Uh, and I went to the second period of sixth grade after we'd played it for the first time, um, and it was fun, and it was very, like, you know, you could sit in your normal seats, so, like, I thought it was a really great game. So we get to the second period, and the kids are asking me, like, I heard we play the Death Note game. And this was, again, in, like, 2006-ish. <laughs> uh, and I, I said to them, the what game? They said, the Death Note game. And many of you, I'm sure, are aware that Death Note uh, is a popular manga, anime, live-action um, movie. Netflix adapted it. Um, about a, a high school student who uh, finds a notebook that lets him write down people's names and murder them after a, like, 30-second or, or however long he can pick the time they die and the way they die, or they can just die of a heart attack if, if there's nothing specified. Um, at the time, I was familiar with Death Note, the comic book, um, which was really, really popular back then. Um, but truly, I had not connected <laughs> that kids would think that the... Uh, uh, haunted house game had anything to do with Death Note, and I kind of pretended like, yeah, no, it's it's the Obakayashiki game, like, yeah, whatever. But if you want to call it the Death Note game, like, uh huh, whatever. But like, yeah, we're 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 fainting. We're nobody's dying. Nobody's being murdered. I specifically said that out loud. <laughs> I remember. Um, so anyway, we play the game, um, and the kids are super into it. And it's so hard to get sixth graders to be enthusiastic. So, you know, that was really happy for me. So like a week or two later, I go back to that school for my next visit. And I walk in, and I'm met by the Kyoto sensei, um, who has a really serious face. And he asks me if I can come and talk to him um, privately. Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Um, and so uh, I haven't been at the school. Uh, I have no idea what it's about. <laughs> he calls me over to his desk, and he sits me down. And he says to me, do you know that there have been a rash of elementary school suicides uh, in Japan? And I am absolutely horrified. I'm thinking to myself at this point that is he going to tell me that a kid in this particular elementary school had committed suicide? It had a big roof that I could see from my apartment. And so I start, like, my brain just goes into this absolute horror thinking, like, oh, my God, has one of my students committed suicide? And I somehow haven't heard the news. And nobody at the BOE has told me. Like, oh, my God, these are kids. Like, six, you know, first through sixth grade. And he sits me down, and he's explaining this to me. And he's kind of staring at me. And I'm staring at him, like, waiting for him to explain, you know, wh why he's telling me this, like, you know, truly horrified. And he says, and, you know, some of the topics related to this are banned at school. And I'm still staring at him because he's explaining this to me in Japanese. Um, and, and my Japanese was good, but, like, not good enough to pick up on subtle nuances or strange vocabulary at times. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yes, this is really terrible and really sad. Like, I'm really sorry to hear that. And he's like, so you, a teacher, um, told us that you were promoting suicide among her students. And I, like the blood drains from my face, I am just like absolutely mortified and, and also completely confused. Like, did I really understand? Did he just ask me if I'm promoting suicide among students in this school like and at this point it's been like two weeks since I've been there I don't think I'd even played the Obakayashiki game with any other school I had just like talked about it that day because I was dealing with sixth graders who were so hard to please um and I, I'm just like staring at this guy like horrified I said I'm, I'm so sorry I have no idea what you're talking about and he said yes the teacher was very upset and came to us after your last visit and told us that you did something really inappropriate in the classroom 
And I'm just, like, again, staring at this man, like, am I about to be deported? Like, what is going on? Like, I have no context for any of this. Um, and then he says to me, do you know Death Note? And I suddenly, like, it all clicks in my head. Like, the kids were calling it the Death Note game. I only taught, like, maybe two or three of the sixth grade classes that day. So I'm guessing that based on how popular it was, they had been telling the other classes that uh, Jennifer Tensei taught them the Death Note game. And I'm just staring at this guy, like, trying to put together what could have happened. And he's like, so there's this Death Note. Like, you know what it is. Like, you made a Death Note game. And I'm staring at him, and I'm like, um, okay, so I'm a foreigner. Um, <laughs> how do I say this? Like, I really don't have enough Japanese to say, like, while I am familiar with the Death Note manga, I don't know what this has to do with my teaching. And so I kind of said to him, I, I don't know what that is. Uh, because I just figured this is the easiest way to deal with this situation, because he is really seriously, you know, like trying to impart information on me in Japanese. <laughs> and uh, he's like, you don't, wait, he, he gets confused. He's like, you don't know what Death Note is? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he said, but you taught the kids Death Note. And I said, I genuinely don't know what you're talking about. I, I have no I taught the kids about a death note and he's now staring at me because I don't know the teacher must have been very upset to come to him about this um, but he now is like wait hold on a second the teacher said this but the the teacher that now Jennifer is confused like what is going on so I'm just kind of staring at him blankly like praying that he like explains further or just drops it <laughs> and finally he's like so you don't know what death note is I'm trying to tell hmm. <laughs> And I could tell, like, he was trying to, like, give me some, like, kind of roundabout explanation of, like, Death Note is banned at elementary schools. Like, it's a popular thing that kids talk about, and we don't allow it here. But I'm pretending I don't know what Death Note is, or the Death Note manga. I don't even think there was an anime at the time. So needless to say, after about three more minutes of me staring at him, just, like, frozen solid, horrified, and him staring at me, like, how does she not know what the Death Note is when she invented the Death Note game? Um, I, uh, just, you know, nothing was going on. So he finally was like, oh, okay, um, good, good talk, essentially. And he let me go to go teach my classes. And I, I, I was pretty sure I knew which teacher it had been. There was a kind of, um, over-sensitive, maybe it's not a great word, but there was a kind of, you know, very, um, high-strung sixth grade teacher. And I had a feeling that it was her. And I was also kind of horrified that she didn't say anything to me during the class when this was happening. And again, it was like the last five, ten minutes of class. Um, and so, needless to say, I just completely pretended I had no idea what Death Note was. Um, the school sort of dropped it, and nobody at the BOE ever talked to me about it, and I just kind of uh, never brought up the Obakayashiki game again. <laughs> and I still maintain that at no point did I ever promote elementary school suicide, but you better believe that was a story I warned uh, uh, Jets about during the uh, alumni-led orientation uh, for years afterward. <laughs> Learn carefully what, what you shouldn't talk about at school, uh, even if you never actually talked about it. Yeah, anyway. Good talk. <laughs> this is Stephen Horowitz. Uh, I was an ALT in Aichi Ken Kariyashi from 1992 to 94. And my mistake story is that about two or three weeks after I had arrived in Japan, so it was, it was August, um, in the early 90s, uh, before internet. Um, and I had to go into work at the BOE, at the Board of Ed every day, and sit at a desk in a big giant office with nothing to do. And nobody was really telling me what to do. And there was no school yet, so there was nothing for me to do. But I had to sit there every day and kind of figure out how to occupy my time, you know, without email or, or <laughs> internet or, or computer or anything. Um, and, and one of the things I figured out was that there was a library, public library, um, and I visited it one day, and I realized there was a, a history of my town written by some American PhD student. And it was really interesting, because it was like the origin of the Toyota company, because we were the next town over, and the... Anyway, it was interesting, but it was kind of slow, dense reading, too. And I got kind of tired and sleepy when I would go and read it. So then... Um, the next time, the next Monday, I was, I said, you know, I was getting bored at work, nothing to do. And I said, hey, uh, is it okay I'm, if I go over to the library and read for a little while there? And they said, sure. And so I left, 
But then, I was, as I was leaving the building, the, the Shiak show, I thought, I'm really sleepy. I'm just going to go home and take a nap instead, and then I'll come back. Um, so I did that, had a good nap, came back a couple hours later, and one of, one of my section mates, this woman, says, how was the library? And I said, oh, it was good. And then went on with my business, which was nothing because I didn't have anything to do. And then, um, but then this one woman who was a, a Japanese-Brazilian woman who was also working for the Shiak show because she would work with, with the Brazilian kids in the school system. She was, I had, I had become kind of friendly with her and she came up to me and she goes, um, the library is closed on Mondays. And I said, oh, oh crap. And I said, should I, and I was panicking. I had just gotten there within the two or three weeks. I, you know, I barely knew anybody. And suddenly I was looking really bad. And I said, should I say something? And she's like, no, there's nothing to really say at this point. And I just had to suck it up and, you know, live with, would live with that, knowing that they knew that. And that was, that was a pretty awful mistake. Things got better after that, but that was a horrible way to start. Hi, my name is Ray. I was a jet twice. I did three years in Gunma in 2002 to 2005 and three years in Gifu from 2010 to 2013. I have a million stories of things I did wrong, but my very favorite was my very first week out of school in Gunma. I had allowed my mom to pack for me because I'm terrible at packing. I would pack every single thing in my suitcase and then wonder why it was overweight and things I don't need and I'm just awful at it. I, I procrastinate, I don't make a list and so my mom just took over. And at the time I was, you know, 22 so it, uh, it was great to have my mom help me with these things. And I didn't really pay a lot of attention, you know, we had all this stuff in my room and she packed it all up and she put everything in great places and my mom was amazing at packing. She could fit all of my crazy things into one suitcase. She would roll things up real tight. She'd pack things inside of things. Um, you never knew what you're going to find when you unpacked my bags because of how she packed things. And I forgot this because you moved to Japan and you're exhausted and you have stuff at Tokyo orientation and then you're rushing to your new place and, you know, you forget about simple things like where did mom put my toothpaste or whatever. So, my first day of school, I had brought my gym gear to um, change into so that I could help with cleaning the school because the first day of school, I was told the entire school was going to get together and clean the whole school. Great. That's perfect. So I go into the female locker room and I'm super excited because I'm new and I want to impress everyone with the fact that I have a little bit of Japanese knowledge and I'm going to just jump in there and I'm going to help. And so I'm sitting in the female changing room and we're all chatting about just like nothing and I can't get my shoe on and I'm not paying attention and I'm trying to put on my gym shoe and it's just, I can't get in there and I thought, oh, mom's put something in there. So I reach in and I pull out not one, not two, not three, but probably 25 condoms that my mother has decided would be well-placed inside of my gym shoe. I freaked out, let out a little scream, grabbed the roll of condoms, threw it into my locker, and it bounced back and hit me in the face, which all of the female teachers saw. So, which is even better because in Japan... Um, Anything is fair game when you're a fair when you're a foreign teacher for everyone to talk about. And the next morning in the morning meeting, the principal very uh, hilariously pointed out to all of the teachers if anyone was feeling um, a lot of love in the class or in that not in the classroom, sorry, in the uh, school um, towards their fellow teachers, just ask me for advice because I seem to be uh, packing. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, the most hilarious first mistake I ever made on Jet, but trust me, it was not the last. This is Elliot Honda. I was in Uwajima Ehime from 2009 to 2012 as an ALT. Okay, so this was my first year on Jet, and I was driving to one of my schools that was further outside of Uwajima Ehime. Um, this was back when Google Maps was not readily available, so everything was done by reading a paper map. And I have no idea what happened, but at some point I missed the turn off to my school. 
So I was driving maybe 15, 20 minutes more than I should have, and I hit a police roadblock. Um, apparently, they were reconstructing this highway that would take you from Ehime to Kochi, the next prefecture over. So I asked the police officer, um, I'm looking for this school, is this the right direction? He assured me yes, I was going in the right direction, although he also did say he wasn't sure of what that school was, but he thinks I should just keep following this road. And they would take a break from construction to let cars go in another 15-20 minutes. So I wait and the police officer and I are talking about being from Hawaii and me being completely lost. Um, I end up going my merry way following this road and I find myself in the middle of nowhere. There's absolutely nothing around me but rice paddies and driving another 10-15 minutes I find a little mom-and-pop shop I asked the woman uh, the owner at the store I'm looking for this school can you help me find it and she looked at me and she kinda laughed and said uh, you're in Kochi it's the next prefecture over that's in Ehime you gotta go back where you came from well eventually I found the school um, there was maybe 20 minutes left in class so I stayed I played with the kids and, um, and the school wasn't necessarily mad they were more worried that I had fallen off the mountain on the way to class so that's my mistake story um, thankfully most people will not have to deal with that thanks to technology Lee Uehara here, former ALT in Chiba Prefecture. My biggest mistake, well, one of them anyway, <laughs> while on jet, has to do with the flag. So I was at a sports endokai. Is that redundant? Anyway, I was there in the beginning in the morning, and they all rose, everybody, you know, at the school rose to, you know, pay respects to the Japanese flag. And then while the national anthem was being played, everybody stood. And for some reason, I got it into my head that, well, I'm American. That's not my flag. I don't need to stand. I don't know why that popped into my head, but I sat during the entire uh, showing of respect for that. And I, I felt a little off afterwards so I went to my senpai and I was like ah in this situation what should one do and she's like well of course you would stand <laughs> I was like oops but that led me to look up flag etiquette uh, just in general and so did you know that you're not supposed to put anything to the right of the American flag and there are a whole bunch of other protocols and guidelines and rules such as you're not supposed to use the American flag in advertising promotions printed on napkins that kind of thing you can go to usa.gov and find out more so that was my mistake while on jet so whenever you are involved or present in a ceremony for someone else's flag consider standing <laughs> Shout out there to Lee Uehara, the last submitter you just heard in our Mistakes in the Workplace stories. Lee also has her own podcast called House of Lee NYC, where she talks about everything and nothing. So definitely check that out if you get the chance. And that wraps it up for our second category, Mistakes in the Workplace. I want to say special thank you to the Jets who submitted their workplace stories. I know that it is not always so easy to laugh about those things and I appreciate you unabashedly sharing your mistakes so that the rest of us can learn and laugh along with you. Then that brings us to our final category which is that of mistakes in the form of regrets. So if any current or prospective Jets are listening, I think it could be valuable to listen to these stories. We just have two of them and don't worry, I said regrets, but they have a happy ending, so enjoy. Hi, my name is Michael Coleman. Uh, I was a JET AET, oh, ALT, sorry, I'm an old, in, um, 
Ibaraki-ken, which is about an hour north of Tokyo, the Alabama of Japan, as I like to call it. I was there from 97 to 2000, but here's the thing. This is why I am telling this story under the subject of mistakes. I made a mistake, I guess. At the time, it didn't seem like a mistake, but my first year, I uh, quit JET, actually. Um... I got the second letter asking if I wanted to renew, and I said no, um, which was a big shock to my board of ed. They were like, what? What? No one's ever done this before. I'm like, oh, that's awkward. Some factors. Uh, I was in a very remote place uh, to go anywhere. To get to the train station took a 40-minute bus ride, so you had to have a car. So I had a car. It broke down. Uh, so I was basically trapped. I was feeling very lonely, isolated. My apartment had no, um, you know, insulation or heat. Turns out I discovered uh, uh, later when uh, my replacement came and took over my apartment, my heater had no filter, which is why my apartment smelled like a gas station all the time. Uh, I was freezing. It was a winter. Uh, I had no car. It was very lonely. Even for that town, I was like out in the middle of like fields. And I was like, "Eh, I'm done with this. I'm going to go home. I, I, this is, this isn't working. Uh, Then it got warmer. The weather became nicer. I bought a new car and suddenly I could go where I wanted. I was being more social. I realized, you know what? It's not Japan that I'm, I don't like. It's small towns. And I think I want to stay. So I went back to my board of ed and I said, hey, you know what? Uh, can I actually? And they're like, no, we've already replaced you. We told Claire they're sending over a new jet. I'm like, oh man. But then I found out from my friend Stuart, who uh, worked as a CIR up north at the Kencho, Uh, that there were 16 openings available for jets in the prefecture because that year is the, as far as I know, the only time they tried this, they moved the final renewal question from March to like late April. So basically, you know, you get three chances to say yes or no if you want to stay on. So the first two, most people just go, yeah, I'd love to stay. Yeah, I'd love to stay. And the third time, usually you go, yeah, I'd love to stay. Or you go, yeah, I'm just kidding. No, I'm leaving. Uh, so a lot of people put it off. So they put it off till late April. Meanwhile, back in America, all the people who were on the wedding, waiting list for Jet had pretty much moved on to their lives because they were tired of waiting so long. That's like two months. And they're like, I don't know what's going on. So they, they get jobs or they go somewhere else. So they just, they're like, I can't, I'm not doing Jet, I guess. So suddenly they had all these openings and no one to fill them. So my friend said, hey, um, tell you what, I can let you have your pick of any place you want in Ibaraki. And uh, he'll reinstate me as a jet, basically, with Claire. And I was like, "Uh, heck yeah. So luckily, one of those places was a city that uh, my friend lived in that I would go to visit all the time because it was a hub. It had a highway. It had the Jobansen, like a major uh, railway, railway. I knew it really well. It's, again, a city. I'm I'm really not good at small towns. So I immediately snatched that up. And it was quick, too, because another person had hurt, gotten a wind that I was doing this. And they were like, oh, is there is there a position in, in Toride? And they're like, oh, no, sorry, it's it's all full. They're like, oh, okay. Uh, so don't, don't tell her. Oh, I guess I just did. Anyway, I remember the first day I moved into my new place, and it was a lot more modern than the tiny little studio apartment that I had um, back in my first town. And I said to myself, ooh, this is nice. I I could stay here probably two more years. Yeah, because back then you could only stay three total. And hey, guess what? I stayed there two more years. Uh, I got to know all the kids in town, everybody from preschool, uh, heck, all the way up to seniors, because I was also teaching uh, swing dance down at the uh, community center and, and learning Japanese at the community center from all the retired um, uh, housewives. Uh, I was taking trains up to visit people. I was taking highways to visit people. People would come visit me because they could. I was more positive and more social, and that made me, of course, learn Japanese better. So I was able to communicate more with people. Uh, I was more confident in my Japanese and had more people to talk with. So it was a complete turnaround. So yeah, that was my mistake, was basically quitting Jet. And uh, I guess I rectified it by staying on Jet for uh, two more years. I would have probably regretted it if I had gone home and there would have been a lot of what-ifs. So I'm glad I, I stayed on and completed it. And now I'm uh, I'm super uh, jet cheerleader as a result. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. My name is Maria Valenzuela. 
I was an ALT jet in Aomori Ken from 2005 to 2006. I am currently a co president for the Jet Alumni Association of Southern California. And my mistake is really a regret. I regret not keeping in touch with one of my main JTEs. When I finished Jet and returned to the States, she was so good about keeping in touch, sending me an email,、um, sending me postcards, and I was just terrible at returning the favor.、Um, since then, especially since COVID, I've gotten much better at correspondence. But back then, I just couldn't get it together. So that's a, a big regret of mine. Awesome. I think these stories of regret are a great way to end because both Maria and Michael turned their mistakes into positive things. And ultimately, sharing these stories of mistakes or regrets really isn't a negative thing at all. I know when I was on Jet, the best advice I received was from my Jet Senpai when they would tell me about mistakes that they had made. So we can learn from and laugh at these mistakes of our fellow alumni and hopefully see some of ourselves in these stories too. Thank you again to everyone who submitted their mistakes. It was truly my pleasure to listen and present them to you all. And as a reminder, I'll announce the topic for our next Mothra Storytelling Hour is success. So please share with us your success stories, whether that's something on Jet, maybe something that went really well in the classroom or really well in your workplace. Or just an accomplishment that you were really proud of yourself for achieving during your time in Japan. Or it could be something post Jet. I know a lot of us love to listen to these career paths that people take after Jet. So if you have a success after Jet in your career or even in your personal life, please share it with us. I know that a lot of us are really eager to hear success stories, good stories from our fellow alumni. So don't be shy. You can submit your success stories to Stephen Horowitz via email.、Uh, I will also set up a Google Drive folder where you can upload your recordings directly. You can also submit them to me via email. My email is samanthalastris at gmail.com, just my first name and last name. Or you can send us your text story and I will read it for you.、Um, any format is fine. So if you don't want to record yourself, type it to me in an email. Commented on the Facebook, in the Jetwit group, whatever way, I'm sure we will get our hands on it and add it to our next Mothra Storytelling Hour podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. Special, special thanks to those who submitted their stories. And I hope that you will join us next time to listen to our success stories from our fellow Jet alumni. Thank you for listening to the Jetosphere podcast, a production of jetwit.com. Special thanks to USJetAA and Claire for their support.